Welcome to Beyond the Ring. Our focus is on connecting young professionals with the energy sector. Join the youth government energy team. Shane Wilson, Nisha Ramdas, Graham Jones. This season, we will be engaging in conversations with leaders from various companies within the energy value chain. Welcome to episode 13. And on this episode, we will be having a conversation with Neil Beakey, co-founder of Operate Software. So welcome, Neil, to be on the rig. I'm very excited to do this particular episode because on this episode, we're actually talking to someone who is actually looking to start up a, a new company uh, utilizing technology to improve efficiency and safety in the industry. So I think it's 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 very great to have you on the show. Another dimension as well to as a guest that you're bringing, as 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 on beyond the rig, you know, we are trying to interview and have discussions with people throughout the the entire energy value chain. And startups is definitely companies that we also would like to welcome on the show. So Neil, if you can, as we normally do on our show. Can you give our listeners an idea of your journey um, thus far in the energy sector and a little bit about your company as well too as a startup from Trinidad trying to make waves in process safety and building a software platform to prevent human error? Uh, Shane, thank you so much for, um, for having me you know, as a guest. Um, really great job with the podcast thus far. So uh, my name is Neil Bicky. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Operate Software Incorporated. Um, I'll give you a little bit about my my backstory. Um, I went to San Fernando Technical Institute way back in 1997, then started the industry right after that um, in the Amoco days. So straight out of tech, you know, um, started the journey in, in industrial instrumentation, and um, electrical engineering. Um, I started out as a measurement tech with Amoco at the time and um, did that for a couple of years. So I was in a field, I was offshore, I was on land, I was, you know, as part of the what they call the LNG upgrade um, process. So I saw the entire transformation of Galiota. Um, I knew most of the the uh, people that were involved in the ground. And so that really laid the foundation for understanding really how um, the industry works from, uh, I would say, custody transfer process, which is where we change ownership of the gas. Um, Right after that, I went into, I became a measurement analyst, which was basically I'm in the office now, um, looking at all the data that the instrumentation would have generated things like gas chromatographs and flow computers and so on. And really started crunching that data for, um, well, BP Amoco at this time. And based on that data, we would then forward that to the relevant customers, which was downstream NGC and Atlantic LNG. So based on my numbers, um, BP would get peaked. Um, After that, Right within the same department, um, I became a gas dispatcher. And a gas dispatcher is basically you're working shift in a control room environment, 
but you're in an office, you're not on a plant. But we had a bird's eye view of all the gas that was being produced and distributed from the BP perspective, from offshore, on land, and to the downstream customers at to the point of NGC and Atlantic LNG gates. Then after that, um, I transferred to the field because I felt like I needed to get some field experience in operations. And um, I became a, a lead operator at the BP Beachfield facility, which is in Guayaguayari. So that is my my journey um, in the industry, which uh, I would say somewhat ended in 2009 um, when my wife was having a third baby. I decided to leave, um, you know, and I've always wanted to have my own business and I didn't want 12 years meet me at a company because it would have been difficult to leave. And I left BPTT to, of all things, sell life insurance because I felt like, you know, I was very, um, I wasn't a very uh, communicative person. And so that was a baptism of fire. I did that for two years. And in the interim, I started my own contracting company. So that is the journey. And then, well, Operate started after that. So I could give you the backstory of Operate after. Wow, what a, what a journey. You know, definitely, I think the listeners would appreciate i guess what you could offer in terms of you know someone who was in the industry and then you 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 left and now you're kind of back in the industry but not working for somebody but actually trying to to solve a problem um within the industry and that's where operate was was basically born um based you know how we discussed before the show so maybe you could give our listeners a little background in terms of operate and what you're trying to do to help the industry um, and and this was based on your time working and seeing a, a opportunity to bring cultural safety change within the industry. It was around 2007. So as a lead operator of the facility, uh, we were preparing um, a part of the facility to be um, handed over to NGC to conduct some work. And that meant isolating an entire section of the plant. And as a lead operator, I felt that, you know, it's it's a critical job and that, um, you know, just to make sure I dot holy the I's and cross all the T's, uh, I went outside and did it myself. But, um, you know, it was like a Saturday. I It was about five o'clock in the afternoon and uh, I was outside all day. And I had all the documentation in my hand on a clipboard, the operating procedure, isolation procedure, lockout, tagout the locks, the chains, everything I was walking around with. And coincidentally, there were two valves physically within two feet of each other that were identical. And they controlled the inlet uh, valves that controlled the gas that coming from offshore. And so this is a 40 inch and a 48 inch valve, you know, huge, huge valves controlling these thousand plus PSI uh, lines. Um, and so one controlled the inlet of the plant and one controlled the outlet of the plant. Although I had the documentation in my hand, I felt as a lead operator, I, I kind of knew my job. I didn't need that to tell me what to do. Um, so it was a check in the box thing, right? And I accidentally closed the wrong valve. Um, 
so when I came back into the control room, the within five minutes, the entire control panel, the SCADA screen was going red. Um, everything was shutting in. Of course, as an operator, you like, you know, start troubleshooting from the from the top of your head. And initially we thought it was a PLC failure. Uh, turned out, so within five minutes we're checking, we're not seeing any of the default cards coming up. Uh, and then I, I took a, a, a breath, I, I stepped back, I looked at everything and I was like, wait. So I told one of the guys, one of the ENI guys there, I said, wait, Jason, you know, come outside with me. And um, went outside to back, back straight to that valve. And fortunately, because I kind of understood what I did, um, was able to bring the plant back up. Nothing happened, no full closure. That entire incident took um, less than five minutes. And the recovery process, nobody detected anything. Um, now, if that had continued and we didn't recognize the problem, we would have shut in all the upstream platforms, 13 upstream platforms um, would have had to shut in because it had nowhere for the gas to go. And when that happens, your downstream customers will have to shut in. And this was before we had an alternative supply of gas which could have meant that um, the entire Point Lisa estate would have shut in, Atlantic LNG would have shut in, and the country would have lost power, possibly, right? It, it would have taken some time, but it could have happened. It could have been, you know, as we say in the industry, uh, catastrophic from an operational standpoint, but we did an internal investigation and we found that um, there wasn't sufficient valve, valve label. So it was, it was too easy for that incident to happen. And so, even though I was absolved of any, you know, sort of um, errors because they they chalked it up as a human error and human factors, meaning I was tired. Uh, try, I was coming close to the end of the shift. I was supposed to do the shift log, so I was hustling. So those are some of the things that happened. And as a senior operator, you know, um, looking back, you know, you're, you're thinking that that happened way too easily. And, um, you know, I should have known better. It continued to affect me to the point where I started to second guess a lot of my decisions um, when I was working. You know, I always have to double check. And I, it started taking an emotional toll on me. And um, I didn't realize that I was suffering from anxiety attacks. So when I get to work, I would get these tension headaches only when I get to work. I would get these tension headaches. I would not be able to perform. I one night about two o'clock in the morning, I was making a, a rounds and I got a panic attack on the on the plant and uh, I, I collapsed in a dream. And um, I thought it was so I, I thought it was a heart attack I was getting. I'm pretty fit, I think, at that time. And I was like, this couldn't ha be happening to me. And then I realized it wasn't a heart attack and uh, so I, I lay down there for a little while, caught my breath. The thing is, it happened right where the gas goes to NGC and it's very loud. So even trying on the radio, nobody could have heard what I was saying. And of course, I couldn't talk. So, you know, it was it was a, a scary scenario. Um, then I realized that, you know, it was. It wasn't something that was physical. It probably was something mental. I stood, I stayed outside for a while. I never told anyone. Never told anyone besides my wife. And 
that's when um, my wife suggested that I go see a doctor. And he did all the checks, um, did an executive medical. And he said to me one day, he said, Neil, um, I think you hate your job. And I think you are not fulfilled. And so that really started the, the gears turning in my mind. Am I living my purpose? Am I doing what I really want to do? And that is where I knew I always had that entrepreneurial bug because I, from the age of 13, I was selling flexi number plates to people, cutting people low and doing all kind of craziness. But, you know, I, I took a, a really um, deep dive into where I see myself. And even though BP is a great company, it's a wonderful company to work for. It was my dream growing up to work at Amoco. Um, I felt that I wasn't living my, my, my life's purpose, my why. And I decided to leave. And um, I remember having this conversation with my, my supervisor outside. And I said, you know, um, Linda, I have to talk to you. He said, this sounds serious. So he said, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going to sell life insurance. And he watched me with this look. He said, look, you know, if you want to go to Paul's being office, we move you to Paul. I said, like, you know, no, I need to find myself. And yeah, from BP to go sell life insurance um, was a huge, huge change. Operate really started out of that human error. And when I started delving deeper into incidents that happen or that were caused by human error, I realized that, you know, the research showed that 80% of major accidents that happen, happen because of some form of human error. And my philosophy is now, um, you know, so I could put it into words now, but I couldn't at the time, is that frontline workers, frontline technicians aren't really problems to be solved, but they are solutions to be harnessed. And I have to credit Dr. Todd Conklin uh, really helping me to uh, solidify that statement. Um, I got his permission to use that statement, by the way. I remember the tool that it had on me, and that's why the name of the company is Operate. It's Operator's Aid. Because while we want to do a good job, you know, the ironic part is that as the frontline operator, you're doing this paperwork and you're asking yourself, what is the point of the paperwork if nobody's going to check it? Right. So that is how I decided to, that there must be a solution to this. Wow. And, you know, Neil, um, somebody wise said that experience make, is making mistakes and learning from them. And, you know, just hearing your story, how um, I guess based on a mistake, uh, you were able to harness that to really solve a problem within the industry, you know, and a problem that only probably you will have noticed because you worked within that particular area. And, you know, you, apart from solving a problem, you know, you touch on another important issue that I would, I would like to kind of dive into a little later in the episode, which is definitely um, anxiety attacks. But definitely the part about talking about if you, you know, your job and I know there are a lot of young professionals who may be out there who may be doing just a job but are not feeling fulfilled. 
-hmm. and you know starting a journey to understand if they are living their purpose and in terms of what they're really supposed to be doing on earth you know so many entrepreneurs talk about that um understanding their why you know why they're doing something i don't know if you could give i guess some of our listeners who may have that entrepreneurial buzz within them but are afraid i guess some tips in terms of how they could find their why and maybe you could reference it to your own journey trying to set up operate so you know it's a very apt question because i have three young boys and you know their bedtime stories isn't you know about some mythical thing i give them stories of my life and they love hearing it and stories of the founders of different companies amazon walmart for example elon musk so coming back to your question um i believe you know young people nowadays so startup culture is is the in thing now right everybody wants to jump into a startup especially you know to the us and and the bigger company bigger bigger economies right um it's starting to happen a little bit here but you know i would tell young people it's always best to go out and work for the companies the big companies the small companies get that experience get that um understanding of the culture understand that there are problems to solve and only when you are inside of that environment you could recognize some problems now there may be people who might be lucky and come up with an idea for example mark zuckerberg you know on facebook straight out of of college right but quite often a lot of the the solutions that we hear about is when people experience a pain themselves and you know in my life you know especially started reading a lot um you know i never really liked being a consumer of everything and i always felt that there was something that we need to add we need there's an excellent book called eat people where you understand and they, they teach you about value creation and not value redistribution and so you know reading those things you realize that um we can't just all go along um consuming we especially trinidad you know we are accustomed to you know import everything not manufacture you know some people say we don't really manufacture here we just you know um repackage in some instances and i think it has a lot to do with with our mindsets with our um understanding of our potential trinidad and tobago has been producing gas since 18 gas and oil since 1868 but i am yet to know of or see something that we invented as with a trinidad flag on it right we have all these expertise but yet you go to any lng plant in the world and there's a trinidadian working there why is it that we are not transcending that expertise into product and so for the young people looking for um an opportunity don't let money be a driver you're starting off in the wrong place if money is a driver um another good book is mastery by robert green talks about the apprenticeship go through your apprenticeship understand your goal should not be money your goal should not be 
progressing through the ranks. Your goal should be understanding the nuts and bolts of the industry that you're in. And then you start digging for the problems to solve. Right. And I would say that that I did that unknowingly and I could do that. I could now dispense that quote unquote advice if you want to take it because of my experience. And if I could help somebody short circuit that time, you know, I hope that I accomplished that. Well, Neil, definitely thanks a lot for that advice. I know our listeners would appreciate you touched on something that um, I'm very passionate about, which is, as you see, you know, we, we have a kind of end user culture, you know, and 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 you call it a consumer, you describe it as a consuming culture, which is true. And we and our industry, especially the energy sector, is in the age of construction again, of of, of rebuilding. That's right. And and definitely, you know, going ahead, one of the things we have to do is, you know, we have to transcend, as you mentioned, in terms of creating products which we can export outside of Trinidad, you know. Because you're right, we have been pioneers in terms of developing our sector by the end of it, you know, in terms of the R&D aspect and inventing our own Trinidadian products, you know, it has somewhat been lacking. And I think the new crop of young professionals out there, I think that's a challenge that we, we face or, or the opportunity, you know, how we could take it to another level because, you know, I had a conversation with somebody on the podcast before, and, you know, our legacy business models, as we're seeing with the, with the changes that are, occurring, that are occurring globally, it is not sustainable going forward. So, you know, I want you to, I just want to bring it back to the conversation. And if you could give probably our listeners three tips again, for instance, if you have an idea and you would like to create a product from this idea, what steps do you think would help them in terms of getting that? Uh, discovery for your product? Uh, great question. Um, so first off, you need to understand, are you selling or are you trying to solve a headache or a heart attack, right? Are you trying to solve something major? Are people willing? So there is a, um, basically, if you were to draw three circles and have the intersection there in the middle, there's a sweet spot, right? So is it a big problem to solve? And you have to identify that. And you could only do that by talking to people. Secondly, is there a market for it? Are people willing to pay money for it? And can I build it? Can it be built? And where those intersect, right, you begin at that point. So that is the first step. The second step is, that, so when you ideate that, um, I would say using a process of mind mapping, you come up with a solution. Um, you may not know where to start. Um, I certainly had no idea about software development. My background isn't really in software. And so I made many missteps and I may still continue to do that. And so mistakes will be part of it. And so, you know, I told you a part of my story where I went to found an institute in Silicon Valley. Um, you know, and just, just a little backstory on that, you know, I got accepted into this, Silicon Valley incubator thing, just to validate the idea. I was the only outsider. I went to Austin for, for four months, left my wife and three kids here. Um, started out with 30 entrepreneurs. So gradually they kick out people because you weren't progressing or the idea wasn't validated well enough. 
only five of us graduated and I was the top graduate, right? And so from knowing nothing to, I would say, you know, knowing a little more, I'm not an expert, there's a lot of reading. So there's a lot of, nowadays younger folks have it a little bit easier because there are a lot of resources, books, podcasts, YouTube that you could go in and look for. So that's a long step, uh, I would say tip number two. And tip number three, never give up until you really exhaust everything, right? Um, I have reached a couple of times to the brink um, recently as well, but um, you know, you just have to keep pushing. Um, there are people that you could reach out to LinkedIn. Um, I am making myself available to younger folks or even folks my age who may want to understand my journey. So really like trying, to, I wouldn't say mentor, I don't like that word mentor, but you know, ask, just talk to people, build relationships. And you know, I think those three tips are really good tips in terms of anyone who would like to get an idea of how they could start understanding how to develop, you know, their plans for um, on their idea, you know, and a good part as you started with um, definitely the, the process of mind mapping, you know, I think that is an effective and simple tool so you can actually visualize what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. Um, second thing, obviously, would definitely be looking at, you know, um, books and podcasts and YouTube as a resource. But sometimes, um, you know, to be honest, sometimes it, it could be an overload as well, too. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I, I think um, we will have to figure out, you know, how, how to find that balance. But there, there's a lot of wealth of information out there. And third, you know, you, you talk about never giving up. And there's no need in, for you, but any entrepreneur, I think you, if you talk to them, I think that's the main thing, you know, you have to, you have to keep going even when um, nobody believing in you, you know, and while um, the any conversation, you know, you talk about anxiety, you know, and I know as an entrepreneur trying to do something different that that's not out there, you know, you don't make money instantly. And I think people have to realize that, you know, it takes time, it takes time. And, you know, there, there'll be a lot of times where you will face that, that mental um, challenge if to go or if to stay or if to continue on this journey and probably you could give the users probably if you could give the listeners um i guess tips on how probably they could probably deal with anxiety you know and and, and mental health uh, because that is a big thing right now you know in terms of finding that balance uh yeah um depression is real um i when somebody told me I have um, anxiety attacks, I was like, I didn't know anxiety attacks, right? <laughs> um, found that depression is real. Um, a few times I have cried. Um, I have a very supportive wife, fortunately. Um, I have three children, so it makes it even more difficult when you are at this stage in life. Um, young children, I've, as, I, as I would have mentioned before, I had a, a contracted company. And I stopped all of that so I could focus on operate. And sometimes I second guess my second guess my my decision. But it, it has to come back to purpose. And that is why, you know, people talk about passion, you know, but it's not just passion. It's it's understanding that you have to focus. 
you have to focus. And if I were to really um, give tips on, on anxiety and depression, mental health, I would say first off is finding your why. A really good book to read is Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Um, he has a very good YouTube um, TED talk. I think that once you're grounded in your why, um, it's always your anchor point. It's always that that lighthouse that you could turn to in the event of a storm, right? And so, first off, is is really anchoring your why. Secondly, there are things that um, you know sometimes things may not be working out. You always have to try something different. Pull back yourself. Um, look at wh what you're not doing. Um, right. Ask for advice from some people. Not everybody gives you the right advice, by the way. Um, not all advice is equal. And so I would say take some time out. You know, take some time out. As a sidebar to that, I would say anybody venturing into an entrepreneurial journey, you have to be <clears throat> sorry, cognizant of your, your situation. <clears throat> so what I did is that I liquidated a lot of my assets to pay down on any debts that I have. <clears throat> so I sold, you know, vehicles that I had, fancy cars, whatever, <clears throat> just so that I wouldn't be owing anyone and I could, you know, if something takes longer than expected, I'm not in a really bad shape. So I would say don't dig yourself further into a hole. <clears throat> this this idea of um, using credit card, you know, it's glorified in Silicon Valley. We don't live in Silicon Valley. Right. So you can't take that as as gospel. So don't make things worse than they are. Right. Sometimes you have to make some decisions and take risks, but minimize your risk. And one of the things that I and I guess this will be the third tip is that that is fundamental to me is exercise. And and when I say exercise, yoga and normal physical exercise as well as meditation and meditation from the perspective of, you know, not sitting down and trying to levitate, but really being centered. And, and there are lots of avenues to learn meditation. In the beginning, it will always be hard. Um, when you don't do it and you get accustomed to it, you miss it. Neil, I think those are three simple tips our listeners um, can easily pick up. And, you know, I, I just want to stress the importance of, of mental health and, you know, anxiety and depression, I mean, are things that, that, that at least when I was growing up, you know, nobody really talked about, but it's something that is real. And mm -hmm. thanks for sharing with our listeners, um, based on your journey, what are some of the tips that, um, that helped you? And, you know, and as, as we um, look to wrap up, you know, in terms of Operate, I would I would like to find out where are you in the journey in, in your in your journey with, with, with your startup. If you could give us um an idea, the listeners. So having gone to, to Founder Institute and being exposed to the Silicon Valley venture capital world, um I am at this stage right now, well, I should say we are at this stage where we are ready to um to seek investors. But what we did is that fortunately um, we were able to access a research and development grant from Export TT. And with that, we were able to build our first, uh, I would say, 
alpha version that works. It's functional. Um, I had a team from India and some of my team here in Trinidad. We were able to build this first version that works. And fortunately, uh, after much um, deliberation, we were able to convince one of the major stakeholders in, in our local economy um, to, to give us a try, to give us a shot at something. So we are in discussions with them right now, actively. Uh, it seems to be going good, I'm hoping that things work out. Um, I would say that the government's recent initiative, the startup uh, centered benefits that they recently announced, uh, should help as well. So that's where we are. We are really in a, at the stage where we are validating the idea, proving to investors that, hey, operated because we are building a new category of software. Um, you need to prove to investors that you have an idea that's fundable, right? And so that is my uh, journey right now is getting traction on the idea. And like how you mentioned, um, I like I love how you say you're building a new category of software. So this this will actually be something that is currently not available anywhere else in the world. Is that correct to say? So far, um, in my discussions with people, process safety experts over all over the world, um, Australia, Houston, Canada, nobody has. Uh, seen this approach and I think it's primarily because I was involved in the field. Um, we even went to the to the head of our regulatory agency in the US and um, they were really enthralled by the the concept. However, they couldn't. I went to them to, for them to endorse us. You know, when you don't know, you know, sometimes it's a blessing. And I went to them and the uh, they said, listen, I, we wouldn't endorse what you're doing, but here are the problems that we have. And if you could design a solution for that, um, it will be golden. So, yeah, building a new category of software is, uh, or anything, a new category of anything is, is always a risk. But after, and you would hear, again hear me saying, reading after reading a book, there's a book called Play Bigger. Um, why? Category creators capture 76% of the market, i.e. Apple, Tesla. Um, they are category creators. And so that's an important word to underscore. So as we close off episode 13, I would like to thank Neil for being a guest on our show. And I would like to thank all our listeners who have tuned in for all 13 episodes. All our episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you need to reach us out, you can check us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And let's hear your thoughts on how you thought our show was and how we can improve for Season 2. Season 2 will definitely be out later this year. I would just like to thank everybody. I'd like to thank the team, the government team, the Energy Arm as well too for being part of this project and pushing this initiative. I really hope we inspired some of our young professionals out there to be more impactful, more influential in this world that we're living in. This is Shane Wilson, Youth Governor of Energy, saying goodbye. Until next time, stay safe.